Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew. Welcome to uh, this time where I do have the, the blessing of being with my bride, Daisy. Welcome, Daisy. Thank you. And Daisy, what's the question we're going to answer today? So we are going to answer the question, do you have to attend church to be spiritual? All right. So this is a really good question. And I think that it kind of goes along with the thought of being spiritual but not religious, which I think has become a really common thing, uh, especially in the last 60 years in Western thought. Um, and uh, so just to kind of introduce this kind of thought process of being spiritual but not religious, which the, the thought process is that you are looking to better yourself internally, you're seeking to have strong internal well-being, but there is also just the movement in and of itself has desired not to be uh, committed or joining any organized religion. Um, so the origins of this actually began in 1960. So it's, it's very interesting to note that just historically, that prior to this, people were not thinking in these terms and as far as being spiritual but not joining anything or being spiritual but not religious because historically, uh, since the beginning of time, people have thought of spirituality as being a part of a faith community or a religion. Uh, every religion historically has been inviting of spirituality. And so that is where kind of this is a new thought. Also, it kind of aligns with Western individualistic culture. So individualism is when the individual is uh, very supreme uh, when it comes to their own destiny. Um, and this is not something that Eastern thought process has a lot of. So in Eastern thought process, you don't have a lot of this thought of, of being spiritual but not religious. And then prior to 1960, it's also not prevalent just as a historical, intellectual, or spiritual mindset. Um, Abby Day, she wrote, in, uh, she wrote Social Identities Between the Sacred and Secular, she says, according, I'm going to say this, according to Abby Day, some of those who are critical of religion see it as rigid and pushy, leading them to use, such, use terms such as atheist and agnostic to describe themselves. Um, and so you, you want to not be kind of under the, the rules or under any laws, I think, in this thought process. But then she goes, for many people, spiritual but not religious is not just about rejecting religion outright, but not wanting to be restricted by it. Okay, so you, you do want to uh, find your own spirituality, but you do not want to be restricted by, you know, a, a covenantal community that is saying, okay, you need to worship, you need to volunteer you need to do these things you know to be a, an active member of our community so i think what so i think as i kind of summarize this from a historical perspective i think that there's a lot of interest in individual freedom there's a lot of interest in individual autonomy um, there's a, there's a suspicion about organized religion and organized faith communities that they're going to impose something on me. Um, yeah, and so, so I think that, you know, as we kind of uh, elaborate on this, um, in this particular podcast, I think that there are people who are explorers, seekers, and they're immigrants. 
Okay, these are, these are just kind of terms that are being thrown out there. An explorer is somebody who's constantly looking for new ideas, but they're not necessarily showing a history of landing anywhere. So they are active in considering new ideas. They are active in talking through what their spirituality means to them, but they're also not ever landing anywhere. So they may be having the same conversations that they've had today with somebody uh, that they had 10 years ago, uh, perhaps, or they may be having new conversations. A seeker is somebody that knows that their spirituality is very individualistic and made up by themselves. So maybe they're starting to realize, okay, I've made this up by myself with no historical backing, and I'd like to land somewhere. Because they're realizing they are not very grounded. So they're, they're thinking, I need to seek. I need to improve. The immigrant is somebody, according to these terms that are being thrown out there, is they've actually landed in a new faith community, but they are, um, it's, it's not easy for them. So maybe they grew up attending a Catholic church and they're, they're landing in a, in a classical Protestant church and it's different and they're, they're landing. Uh, or maybe they grew up in a non-denominational background, but now they're landing in, in a different faith denominational community. Or maybe they grew up not attending church at all, uh, but they've been introduced to Jesus and Jesus has captivated them. And so now they're attending and they're just kind of figuring it out and it's a new experience for them. Um, and so that's kind of just me kind of painting a picture of you know, this particular train of thought. So um, I'm interested in the explorer and the seeker. Like, why do you think that those two positions are where they're at in life? What do you think is causing them to not hmm. necessarily land somewhere? Um, so I think in my experience, when, when it comes to the explorers, these are the people that have a hard time landing somewhere. I, I think that, um, and these would be just some, if you're listening and you find yourself as an explorer that uh, kind of likes to explore things, but you're not landing in a faith community, you're not committing to a faith community. I would say these are some, maybe some internal questions to consider. Uh, and the first one is their fear of giving up autonomy. Um, and so, in other words, is their fear of accountability. And so what, what would it look like to invite healthy accountability into one's life? What would it look like to, to see that as healthy? Because I think that when we think about a lot of other structures in life, whether it's the workplace, or it's in the family, or it's in a marriage, or when it's in parenting, or if you're a part of a team. I think we would probably tend to agree with one another that healthy accountability is good for those environments. And so is it possible that there could be healthy accountability in a spirituality, in a faith-based community? Um, also, I think that there's, is it possible that there's fear of commitment, you know, and um, I think commitment, you know, is a, is a decision. Commitment is a good decision. But I guess I would say, um, are there other things or people you have committed to in your life that have been positive? You know, so if you're listening and you're married, you committed to someone and 
let's just assume <laughs> for the sake of the argument that that commitment has been a blessing to your life or has been a positive factor in your life. Is it possible that committing to a faith community or a higher power or a truth greater than yourself could be a real positive? Um, and so these are, these are some of the questions that I think would be good for uh, people who are explorers and seekers to consider. Yeah. So if, um, so pointing this in a different direction, um, if you're not having authority or accountability or commitment in your life, like what would you point people to as a good source of authority, something that would be good to commit to? So in every podcast on, on this Transform podcast, we have shared um, uh, how you and I have been transformed. And we've been transformed by a man named Jesus. <laughs> and he has changed our life, our perspective. He's changed our marriage. He's changed our parenting. He's changed our finances. He's changed our relationships. He's, he's changed how we see the world. He's changed everything. But I guess I would say, why, though? Like, why Jesus? Because, see, what we're trying to figure out is, if we're not going to go towards individualism and autonomy and introspective, just I define my own truth and my own religion for myself, for lack of a better term there, is there a higher source of authority that is credible that I should consider? And I think that um, what I would say this is Jesus claimed to be God. <laughs> so wrap your mind around that. He claimed to be the creator of this entire universe as a man. Um, this is something that no other man has claimed. Mm -hmm. And so then what we have to do with that claim is say, okay, either, and C.S. Lewis had the famous uh, trilemma. He said either he's a liar, lunatic, or he's Lord. And I truly believe that those are logical conclusions. If, he, if he's claiming to be God and Lord, he can't just be a good guy. He can't just be a good teacher. He can't be just a good prophet. Because it's like, okay, you don't get to just claim that you're God and get away with that. That's not fair. Um, so either he's crazy or he really was. And so I think we all have to consider, okay, um, I think regardless if you agree with C.S. Lewis's trilemma, I think you... I would invite, are his claims credible? And how would you figure that out? And so, and I think what we do with everything is we investigate. Who were the historical eyewitnesses of his teachings, his behavior, his actions? How did this movement of Christianity begin? Um, in the beginning, uh, Christians were called people of the way. So they, they had a way of life that was inspired by Jesus. Uh, and so in my own inquiry and in my own journey, because I was actually in this position at one time, I was a seeker, I wasn't always a believer, I, I sought to investigate this. And one thing that I, I saw in terms of historical eyewitness accounts and extra biblical accounts about Jesus were his miracles. And it wasn't just Christians that witnessed his miracles. It's extra biblical sources. So if you look at Josephus, who's a Jewish non-believing historian, first century. He talks about Jesus' miracles, you know. Um, so there's miracles that no one else has done, you know. So it's one thing if you're like on America's Got Talent and you're a great illusionist, um, but it's another thing if you're, if like people saw you walking on water, if people saw you calm a storm. 
So like you have power over nature. It's, an, it's another thing if a mom said, this man raised my son from the dead at the funeral. Um, or a family said, he raised my brother that was dead for four days and he came back to life. Or there's a, a blind homeless man that says, I was blind, but this man Jesus came and healed me of my blindness and now I can see. So there's, there's so many miracles that he performed and I guess I think we should investigate like we investigate anything else. I think it's interesting. On social media, we're quick to believe one person's side of a story. And we're quick you know, to say, oh, that's what happened. I know what happened. But then when it comes to like Jesus, I think we enter with a lot of skepticism. But yet, this is documented and witnessed by hundreds and thousands of people that he, comm- he performed these miracles. Um, in addition, he, he said that to believe in him, you would have eternal life. So this is different than any other religious leader. Every other religious leader says, you got to do these things to get to heaven. He's saying, believe in me. Like, who says that? Who gets to claim that? Who gets to just say, trust in me, because I'm going to be your judge at the end. Like, no one's ever said that. This contrasts with everything else we've ever seen on the religious and historical landscape. And this one was huge for me in my journey. There's over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled by by him, such as his place of birth, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would uh, perform these miracles, that he would die on a cross for sin, that he would rise again from the dead. There's all of these prophecies being fulfilled in him. And I remember reading a book by, it was by Josh McDowell, who wrote a famous apologetic book in the 70s called More Than a Carpenter. And he wrote another book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. So he's kind of one of your first apologists on the scene. An apologist is somebody who defends the Christian faith or gives reasons why you should believe. But he noted that if Jesus were to just have fulfilled eight prophecies, Peter Stoner, who is a scientist, said, and hopefully I'm getting his last name right there. Um, I'm going off of memory on that. But he said that scientifically, when you think of probability, the probability of Jesus just fulfilling eight miracles would be to bury in the ground in the state of Texas uh, money and to blindfold yourself and then to like actually be able to find where those where, where those pieces of money were buried. Um, just eight. So if he's fulfilled 300, this is phenomenal. And obviously, he couldn't just say, oh, I'm going to fulfill like the place of my birth, for example. He didn't have any power over that. Yeah. Um, so I'll just, you know, I've been, I'm going to pause there. And, and see, these are some of the reasons which started to get me off of the fence mm-hmm. um, and take me from being a seeker to a believer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's, you know, steps in this process and getting to the place where you say, uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus is obviously the first step. But then um, when it comes to your relationship, like with the church, then um, I think you need to evaluate, like, what did Jesus, if I believe in Jesus, well, what did Jesus say about the church? So, Andrew, tell me how Jesus instituted the church. All right. And 
I'd love to elaborate that. And if you're listening and you're like, I, I consider myself a believer in Jesus, but not necessarily someone who um, doesn't want to follow his teachings, I think uh, we're not saying everybody who is spiritual but not religious maybe lands there. But I think what we want to do today is help people to consider uh, what that looks like. So if you, if you have a positive view of Jesus, what, does, what did he say about his church? And how could that be a part of your consideration as you consider this whole question? And you said it, Daisy, that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and he instituted the church. Here's how it happened. So he, he promised them that before his death and resurrection, and he died for sin and rose again from the dead. Those are two things no one else has done. Um, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So then what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit comes on a holiday called Pentecost. So this is a Jewish holiday. There's all these people gathered around. There's just millions of people practicing and celebrating this festival in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. People start sharing uh, the just all of these things about God and languages they had not previously known to all of the different cultures there. And this is foreshadowing that this good news is going to be for all the nations. Um, and then uh, in addition, Peter, who is one of Jesus' apostles, so these apostles are people that witnessed his death and his resurrection. He uh, receives the Spirit as well. He gets up and interprets what's happening because people are like, what is going on? People are sharing the deeds of God in their own native, in, in languages they did not previously know. So one person said, these people are all drunk. And Peter said, it's actually, they're not drunk. He's like, it's only 9 a.m., guys. Um, they're not, there's, no, there's no drinking at 9 a.m. Right, right now. And then he gets up and he explains that this, is, this event, the church's birthday, is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Joel chapter 2 that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all nations and the church would be born. That day, 3,000 people believed and were baptized in one day. That's the church's birthday. So Jesus promised the church's birthday, and then it happens 50 days after his resurrection. It's really cool. And then there's this first church called the Jerusalem Church that's captured. And I wanted to quote this description so this would be like on their website. Hey, what's this church about? It says this, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. So they're experiencing life together. They're experiencing meals together. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So they're worshiping and enjoying the favor of all the people. So they actually had a good reputation with outsiders uh, because they, were, they had a positive impact on their community collectively. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you could kind of see the purpose of the church here. It's for experiencing life with other believers. It's for the mission of sharing Jesus with others so they can be saved from what's called sin and death and be reconciled to God um, and have a relationship with God. Um, and so it's, it's a, you can see a very communal thing here, not an individualistic thing. And you can also see that there's something transcendent above the self that's bigger than our individualistic, consumeristic ideas that we think are good for ourselves. But there's a truth above us 
that's greater than us. We don't know everything. We need Jesus to help us. And so if you're listening and you want to consider um, kind of giving your life over to Jesus, that is something he invites people to do, and he invites people uh, to be a part, an active participant in his church. Uh, so Daisy, why would you say being a part of a church is a positive thing? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think, you know, we've both been a part of churches for a long time, and so we're able to really see, like, um, when you're in a church community, it truly is a community. And um, we've seen, you know, deep friendships be built over years, um, support, like when someone's going through a hard time, this church community is there to help support them, either with prayer or, um, you know, we bring meals to people on a regular basis who are going through surgery or childbirth or, or some other um, major life event that's going on. And people are willing to share, hey, this is what's going on in my life with you, to, to give their life group an opportunity um, to minister to them, but keep going. Yeah, and they have that vulnerability with each other to be able to share, hey, this is what's going on. Can you pray for me or I need support in this certain area? Um, even sometimes, you know, someone's going through a financial crisis and we're able to say, hey, here's some money to help you through this crisis. Um, we, we really love you and we want to take care of you. And I think um, that is a huge benefit that people experience being a part of this church community. And then just what you talked about, just that transcendence too, of believing in something greater. I think that um, it brings a lot of meaning to your life that wouldn't otherwise be there. Something, um, I think we all have it, have it written on our hearts that there's something greater and bigger than just this world that we live in. And um, so just to know what that is and to have a purpose in that and a part to play is just so meaningful. Um, I think it really can help with um, your mental state, help with depression, help with anxiety, just um, knowing what you believe in and knowing that God cares for you, first of all, and also that your community cares for you. Um, so I think that's really um, all great reasons to be a part of a church community mm -hmm. and not say, hey, I'm going to do religion on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be my own um, individual self and figure out what I believe on my own, but just really being part of that community that can help and help guide you with your beliefs too, so that you're not <laughs> just making up random stuff. Like, you know, the church for over 2,000 years has believed something and it's been the same thing for over 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And so it, it takes away that ability to kind of get off track, but you're really surrounded by a community um, that can teach you, especially if you're new to the community. Hey, this is what we believe about God and this is what God's revealed about himself. Um, I was just reading this article, um, a New York Times opinion article, and it was really interesting. Um, it was by T.M. Lerman not quite sure if I'm saying that correctly, but she wrote, one of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. Religious attendance, at least religi religiosity, boosts the immune system and decreases blood pressure. It may add as much as two to three years to your life. The reason for this is not entirely clear. So I thought it was a funny sentence. Um, it might be not be entirely clear, but I think we can really um, presume why 
why that would be true, especially being a part of a faith community where um, we do feel that support and love really can help us. Absolutely. So I feel like what you're saying is there's, there's a lot of power in believing something that people have believed since the beginning of time and um, that you do it together as a community. So you have community and you're also believing in something greater than yourself. So uh, this is not possible if everybody has an own individualistic notion or perception of what their spirituality is. But see, now it's like, wow, we're all pulling in a common direction with common purpose, common prayers, common mission. Um, and so that's so powerful. And I think the studies show that when people find this, it adds great health and joy um, to their lives. Um, and so that is, that is very powerful, Daisy. And so Jesus institutes the church. He is the one that founded it. So if we say we want Jesus, but we don't want the church, I think we have to first consider what Jesus says about the church. And we did that a little bit there in the first church's uh, birthday in Jerusalem. But then also he chose apostles. An apostle is someone who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and then has a direct commission from Jesus to go and share the resurrection and the truth with others. The apostles first preached in the first century, but then they also wrote. And Daisy, can you read what one of the apostles says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses, verse 25? Can you read that for us? Mm -hmm. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah, so Daisy, like in life, do you feel like you, you could use some encouragement? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I was just talking to uh, a friend this morning, and we were talking about the need for mutual encouragement, you know, because uh, I think she had experienced a tough season, and um, I think, you know, pastors by definition are <laughs> going to have uh, sequences of tough seasons. But my, I think in life, we all have tough seasons. And it goes in ebbs and flows, and we know it's not always going to be smooth sailing. And every we kind of, I was watching a movie the other day, and it was about uh, people who recover from post-traumatic stress disorder in the military, and then football players who retire. Um, and I think that one thing that was stated in the movie was like we're all messed up. <laughs> like, we're all, and I think the truth of the matter is, is we need encouragement from each other. So how powerful is it if people see this? Like, you're not just going to church because you feel like it. You're going to church to encourage the other people that are there that haven't seen you. Like, we need you. We need each other. Just seeing your presence encourages, you know? And so, man, think about the power if we thought that way. Not just, how can I please myself today, but how can I bless others? I think of like our small group that we're in. Um, at the end, we break into groups of women together and men together. And just, you know, we talk about all sorts of things in those groups, like parent, like what we're going through parenting. That's a big one because we, all of us in the group right now have young children. So that's a big one of just like, hey, this is what, this is the challenge that I'm facing right now. Mm -hmm. And then we get to talk about 
how the rest of us have dealt with that challenge and what the Lord is teaching us through that challenge. And I know that encourages me a lot, just to know that other people are going through the same thing as me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Daisy, how about this? Do you think it's good in life to invite in the wisdom of others as well? So there's encouragement that's needed, but what about wisdom? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I, I need the wisdom of others. I think we operate that way all of the time with close friends or just going to a counselor or whatever. Uh, but look at this from Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. This is from the Apostle Paul, who was previously not a believer in Jesus. So he was a dissenter. He wasn't a seeker or an explorer. He was a dissenter. <laughs> Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Um, and long story short, Paul is converted to becoming a believer. And then he starts to plant churches. And this is one of the churches he planted. And, and he writes back to him. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Like, so this is saying, man, there's mutual teaching that we're going to give to each other as the body of Christ. And you mentioned life groups, and that's every church kind of typically has a small group movement. Um, and, that, and those are designed so that we would teach each other the scriptures, the message of Christ. And man, it is a powerful thing because it's life-changing and you start to really bond and you have a purpose and you have a mission. And then obviously you have to kind of agree that Jesus is your authority. Otherwise you'll be, at, you know, kind of a critic, you know. But man, it's such a powerful thing that we've seen in other people's lives in our ministry for, you know, I think we're, we've been doing this for about 15 years now. <laughs> um, when people say, I submit to Jesus as my God and my Savior, man, their life just transforms with different purpose, priorities, and love, and it's a powerful thing to see. Um, and then also, Daisy, wouldn't you say that the body needs to be active? Like, we, we have our bodies. We need to be active. The church is called the body of Christ. So if the church is like the body, what, would it, what happens if we're inactive? What happens if we're not, you know, the analogy Paul uses in Romans and in 1 Corinthians is that we're interconnected members of one another as a body. So I don't know. Um, well, I think it fits into what you're saying about encouraging one another. Like if you become inactive or you become complacent, then, and you're not going to be receiving that encouragement and that wisdom from other people. And um, that can just lead to a spiral. And then you stop praying. You stop going to worship. You stop being a part of this community. And, um, and then it's hard, you know, it's hard to get back connected once, you've, mm -hmm. once you've established those habits. Right. Whereas, you know, we've seen... Like it's people who have the habit, like it's all, it's a lot about habits of going to church. Like once you, you're doing it every week, then it's just, it's, it's what you do. Or right. once you stop doing it every week, you don't do it anymore. Right. That's so right. So you're going to go one, one direction or another. Right. So I think we, we 
put a high uh, priority on having good habits. There's a new book that's selling a lot called Atomic Habits. Um, there's another book that's very successful called Change Anything. I think we put a high priority on habits and change, uh, but yet I think sometimes we need to also apply that to our spirituality too, not just to exercise and diet, but to our spirituality. And so the church is the body of Christ. So that means we're, we're going to be active. We're going to be healthy uh, being active. And then, Daisy, wouldn't you say, believer or non-believer, spiritual or non-spiritual, religious or not religious, like a lot of people in our community, place a high priority on family. The, sure. the church is called the family of God. That's what it's called. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. It says we're members of God's household now. So I guess what would it look, I mean, what would it look like if just, um, you know, we have a teenage daughter. What if she just ran away? We just didn't see her anymore. She, she'd be a part of our household still but we would definitely miss her. We wouldn't see her that much. It'd be very sad, right? Yeah. So I guess when I think about this, what can you say to somebody who's maybe just become inactive when it comes to their church community? Um, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say probably the people that, that knew you miss you, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, for me, if I become close to someone in the church and then they suddenly disappear and they never say anything to me and I never really know why, like that, that hurts, not just as somebody who's involved in ministry, but it hurts as a friend because you feel like, hey, I had a relationship with that person, but Mm -hmm. they didn't value that relationship Mm -hmm. enough to even say goodbye to me. And that's happened you know, quite a few times to me, and it's been very painful. So I would say, you know, other people, other people feel that too, feel that loss and just. Yeah. So it's like, it's this, this is a high calling, you know, that followers of Christ have. And then positively speaking, when we are doing well as a family, like what do you, what happens when families are doing well? Yeah, so last night, my kids were all in the kitchen together, and they were all getting along and, like, laughing and talking to each other. I wasn't really even part of it. I was just observing. And that's not always been the case in our house. We have four kids, and it can be chaotic, and they all have big personalities, and there can be a lot of fighting with each other and a lot of arguing with parents, but it was, like, peaceful. And I just felt so much joy in that moment, just, you know, watching them get along, just wow. that joy of interconnectedness. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds great. So there's just joy when families are meshing, when they're encouraging, when they're kind, when they're loving, and they're together. Yeah. They're, not just, they're not apart. They're not just all just checked out from each other's lives. Um, and I feel that joy every time I come to church of just, you know, worshiping together and the energy and the love that's there and, you know, saying hi to each other. And I felt that especially like when we came back after, you know, breaking for COVID and then suddenly we were allowed to go back to church again. And I just felt Mm -hmm. like 
wow, what a joy to be back and I never want to leave this again. And I've tried to remember that because it can become routine. It can become just, you know, what you do. But I've tried to remember, like, this is something that's really special that we are able to do right now. I don't want to take that for granted. The silver lining of COVID is it took some things away from us that we prized highly. Mm -hmm. And then it just opened up our eyes, I think, to how important those things were, yeah, sure. such as community in Christ mm -hmm. and fellowship, like social closeness <laughs> uh, with other believers. And so, all right, just to kind of wrap it up for today, I think what we've taken people on is a journey from spiritual but not religious to considering having a truth greater than yourself. And for us on this podcast, that truth is Jesus. And that's what he, and he, his idea was the church. So you really, you really, um, by definition, can't have Jesus and not his church. Otherwise, as we've examined this, you really haven't understood Jesus and what he had in mind when he created the church for us. So that's something to ponder if you're listening and, and to consider, if you disagree with us. And remember, Jesus is always gonna challenge us, so if you <laughs> don't want any challenges, um, I think you, you'll have trouble with Jesus because he's constantly challenging everyone. And if everybody was just individualistic, there wouldn't be a church because <laughs> there wouldn't be any community. So it's just something to consider. But what would it look like to surrender your life to him? That word is used often as surrender. The word surrender is, I am going to just stop this thought of being autonomous and on my own and independent from any truth greater than myself. So surrender, the invitation is, Jesus uses these words in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means U-turn. It means a change of mind or a change of perspective. That's his invitation. And believe means Jesus is now my Lord. That means he's in charge. He's my authority. Jesus is my savior. That means he saved me from sin and he saved me from death. Next week, uh, we're going to have uh, Principal Phil Barnard. He's the principal at our St. John's uh, school. And he is going to partner with me to answer the, the question, do I have to change anything if I want to be a part of religion? And if you are interested, we'd love for you to join in. And if you were blessed by today's podcast, you have any family or friends that you'd love to share it with, we would be very encouraged and blessed if you did that. And we also invite you to follow along um, for weekly encouragement uh, in your walk. Uh, with God. Um, and we, we're grateful for your questions. And if you have one you'd like for us to consider on this podcast, you can submit those to hello at sjdenver.org. And we'll see you next time. Bye.